Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. I am so excited to have Jenny Blake as a guest on the Center in the City podcast. Jenny and I were first connected through a friend in Buenos Aires back in 2012, and Jenny was actually the first person who really inspired me to get my coaching certification. And ever since then, she's become a mentor and a friend tour, and just I'm overall always so amazed and inspired by how much heart and presence and thoughtfulness she brings into her business and the way she gets to support others. If you aren't familiar with Jenny Blake, here's a little bit about her. She is the founder of Pivot Method, a growth strategy company that helps forward-thinking individuals and organizations map what's next through scalable pivot programs. Her motto, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. Jenny is an international keynote speaker and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One, which won Axiom's best business book awards in the career category. After five years at Google and coaching, training, and career development, Jenny pivoted to running her own business in New York City in 2011. In 2015, she launched the Pivot Podcast, which is CNBC's listed among six podcasts to make you smarter about your career. Entrepreneur selected as one of the top 20 female hosted business podcasts and Parade named among 25 motivating podcasts to transform your morning commute. Welcome to the Centered in the City podcast, Jenny. Thank you so much, Wade. I'm a big fan and I'm honored to be here. I'm so honored to have you as one of my early guests. You are um, a mentor, friend tour, inspiration of all things personal and professional. So I'm really excited to have this real and raw conversation around self-care and mindfulness. I love it. And right back at you, we were saying before we hit record that we'll pretend, we'll imagine that we're on one of our walk and talks in New York City. And I've just always enjoyed those with you. And um, you're a big inspiration to me too. I really love what you're doing. And for all of you listeners, Wade asked the question that blew my mind this year in 2020, which we were heading into the fall. It could just as easily be applied to the next season whenever you're listening to this. And she just said, what would your ideal next season look like? 
And there was so much stress and heaviness throughout the year that I hadn't even considered designing something so proactively and peacefully. So thank you, Wade. I've, I just love the exercises that you do and how you help us reconnect with our bodies and our mind and our spirit and just stay sane in this crazy world. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Jenny. Well, speaking of that, like, talk to me about what, how do you define self-care, especially as somebody who runs their own business and is really passionate about being intentional about how you spend your time and your energy? For me, self-care is not this side activity that kind of gets squeezed into the margins. It is the orienting idea of my day. And this is part of the reason that I am self-employed. It's now been 10 years because I think a lot of the working world is broken. I don't understand how any of us can stay sane and not burn out in these cultures where we're expected to work 40, 50 hour weeks. I mean, mm -hmm. even 40 hour a week is considered a normal full-time job. And yet it leaves so little room for just waking up, starting the day with ease, reading, you know, connecting with yourself. Maybe you have kids to take care of or a dog to walk. Okay, then you want to work out. And only then do you want to go to your desk and work. But the way we're currently set up is that work comes first and everything else gets squeezed into the margins second, if not third and fourth, especially self-care. Mm -hmm. So one of, my, one of my mantras this year, or my question is, what's your job today? And there were so many days where I just said, my job is to take care of myself or my job is to work out today. And if that's the only thing that I do, it's been a successful day. And as opposed to thinking that my job today was ticking things off a to-do list or getting some big work thing done. There were certain days where I did that, of course, but I also gave permission that other days my primary job was in fact self-care. Yeah. And I love that because, right, our culture is so addicted to this ability of, you know, you kind of sell yourself when you sign up for a corporate job that your time and your energy is theirs. And I completely agree with you that that mentality is so outdated and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable in our world that's fast paced, it's constantly moving, it's constantly shifting. And so what would you say to people who are listening who are working in corporate and they do struggle with this ability of how do they fit themselves in a day that's not theirs, quote unquote? Right. Well, first, if you're struggling with keeping up, you're not alone and it's not your fault. I worked mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley for seven years before I struck out on my own and moved to New York City. And I don't even think that it's necessarily the leaders of these companies' faults that they're saying, let's create a burnout culture. This will be the best idea ever. But at the same time, the number of inboxes that any one of us manages is out of control. <laughs> you know, we have our email, mm -hmm. personal email, work email, LinkedIn messages, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, if you're on those platforms and so on. And every new tool, we get a new inbox. Maybe now it's Voxer and Marco Polo. It just keeps multiplying. And oh, text messaging has become, you know, just a go-to. So the number of inboxes has spiraled. The speed of technology and innovation is so exciting, but our, we have a computer in our pocket at all times. It just would be overwhelming for anybody. And I took it personally for a long time. Like there must be something wrong with me that I just can't 
keep up. Mm. And so one permission I would offer, even if you're in, working in a corporate environment, is um, it's okay. And the other thing I'll say is try experiments just for yourself, and you would be surprised that people probably will not notice. <laughs> so for example, if you currently check email after 5 p.m., Okay, and I'm saying that that's probably early. Maybe you check until 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m. Just for the next week, try stopping what you check an hour earlier and just see if anyone notices. Mm. I doubt they will, and I doubt anything urgent will come in after 5 p.m. that you weren't already going to handle the next day. So I like to do these subversive little experiments that no one's really going to notice. You're not asking for permission, but you're claiming your time, your energy, and your attention back. Mm. I love that. So it's kind of like, where can we use the pivot method in our self-care realm? Yes, which is all about, let's say, in the context of self-care. So four stages, plant, what's working best? Where are you taking care of yourself? You know, what where, what does make you feel really nourished or energized or taken care of? And also your vision. What, what do you want? Just like you asked me, Wade. What do you want your self-care practices to look like? How do you want them integrated mm -hmm. in your day? And then scan people's skills and projects. So listening to this podcast counts as scanning for new information and ideas and listening to you, Wade, and doing your meditations. And then pilot is that third stage about small experiments. So can you try going to bed half an hour earlier? I'm a big fan of really tiny streaks and tiny experiments so that they're so easy you can't say no. Like right now I'm on a 30 day, two streaks, do something in my Peloton app for 10 minutes a day. And that could be meditation. It could be stretching. It doesn't have to be the fiercest bike ride I've ever done. <laughs> um, so 10 minutes a day minimum of some kind of movement or self-care and then um, 100 words a day. That's with a writing buddy. 100 words. That's seven sentences. There's no excuse not to get those done. So if that helps give an example of two very tiny experiments. And then the fourth stage launch, we don't need to get into, but launch is just when you're ready to go all in. Yeah. And I think what I notice when I work with my clients is this idea of perfection. Like if I can't have the perfect morning routine, or if I can't get a whole hour into workout or, you know, sit for 10 minutes in my meditation, then it's not worth it. Like I'm just going to scrap totally. it and- move on. And then I've given myself an F for the day of failure. Mm. And I feel like that mentality is so toxic because it keeps us in the cycle of we're not doing enough. We're not, we're not perfect at this. We're, you know, we're not good at this. And it just perpetuates this cycle that prevents people from actually making space for themselves. And so I love, you know, using this pivot method when we think about self-care, because it really is like, okay, what can you just try? What can you be curious and playful with and try for 10 minutes a day for a few weeks to notice what shifts, you know, does that actually work for you? Does that feel good? How does that connect back to, you know, your vision of how you want to feel during yeah. your work and professional life? Totally. And, and realizing I, I, I've done this in the past too. this all or nothing thinking, well, if I don't have 30 minutes to do yoga, it doesn't count. Just like you said, Wade, or I'm not going to do it, or I don't have time. And at a certain point, it just doesn't work. You know, there's a book Randy Zuckerberg wrote, 
I forget the exact title. I think it's called Choose Three. And this kind of connects to, I did a podcast on the concept of what's your job today. But some days my three things are going to be work, yoga, and who even knows, seeing a friend for coffee. But on other days, I might pick three different things. And we can't do everything every day, usually. We, usually it's really hard to be good at everything every day and give and have the most pristine meditation in the morning and time to read and time to spend with our family and we get all our work projects done and we even do some kind of cardio in the afternoon and we cook dinner for our family. I mean, who can do all that? It's not, it's not sustainable. Totally. So yeah, I think the permission and then, then I ask myself, I, I go, if I only stretch for 10 minutes, will I be glad that I did that? And the answer is always yes, that mm-hmm. something is better than nothing. So BTN, my friends and I abbreviate it, BTN, it's better than nothing. Like, just do something. And I think what's empowering about that is that, hey, if you're really into it, or you happen to have extra time, of course, you can stretch for 20 minutes. You know, you could you could stretch it longer. It doesn't have to be only 10 every day. But at least it gets you to do something and claim that space for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, and sometimes it's the hardest part, right? Is to just get going, just to do it, just to put on your sneakers to go for a walk, or just to put out your yoga mat. But you know that once you give yourself that permission and kind of that mindset, I like to call it mind forward. It's like, can we be mindful of how we're going to feel? after we do it, because we can give ourselves so many excuses of why we shouldn't, or we're too tired, or, you know, is it really going to be worth it? But we just connect to that feeling of, yes, just after 10 minutes of stretching or a 10 minute walk, we're going to feel that burst of energy or a little bit more ease. And we just kind of got to keep our mindset on that versus all the reasons why we shouldn't. Yeah. And then it's also one thing that's coming up as you're talking, Wade, is just the voice in our head. Mm. And how are we talking to ourselves? And for I I remember, so I had a, there was a certain point in my life in recent memory where I had a thousand day meditation streak. And I just really was determined to keep this streak going. I know streaks work well for me. And for some reason, when I decided to stop it, I just needed to stop. I was like, I don't want to be forced (laughs) essentially to meditate. I don't want to have this streak to maintain. I don't want the pressure of even 10 minutes. And then I stopped meditating for now it's probably been two years since I've had a regular daily practice the way that I did when I was on my thousand day streak. And it was also very powerful to observe my inner rule breaker, you know, mm-hmm. like the one that said, no, you can't make me do anything. And at that time, there there was this corner that I turned where I just, I didn't want even that pressure. So I also understand. And I do think, of course, we don't all want to become couch potatoes. But it's likely that, like, if you're not feeling the energy and the motivation to do things, maybe you do need deep rest. Maybe you need to lean into the Netflix binge weekend. And I've done that where I thought it was going to be two days that I was like merged with the couch binging shows and it ended up three weeks. But somehow my body really needed three weeks to do nothing and be one with the couch. And I think at a certain point I I had to just give into that and let that be okay and let that be part of my self-care. Yeah. How did you do that guilt-free, Jenny? Because I know guilt is a huge factor for a lot of us when we make choices or don't make choices 
around self-care and, you know, what we should or shouldn't be prioritizing. Well, I think it's like, is the guilt helping or hurting? And in the beginning, of course, just like probably you and many of you listening, I was like, all right, get it together, you know, get off the friggin' couch. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You have work to do. There's projects, there's emails, there's people waiting on you. And I know that if you do work in a corporate setting, you maybe you can't take three weeks completely offline. But there's almost this go into emergency mode setting where you really strip things down and pair things back. And this ties back into the broader culture that we're a part of. So I think the guilt comes from imagining that we should have more energy or we should be able to get through this faster. Or if you have even just a small cold, there's this sense that, oh, well, three days was okay to be under the weather, but five is just too many, you know? Or, oh, why? why the, this is what annoys me about the, even the construct of a work week. Who said that two days of a weekend is enough, is actually enough to rest and recharge and do our errands and then go back to work? I really don't think that it is. Um, so how can we reimagine the, the ratio even of work to rest? And, and that helps me drop the guilt a little bit to um, really, and part of it was reading the book, Nonviolent Communication. Mm -hmm. There was a chapter on how we talk to ourselves that just mm -hmm. completely turned the lights on for me of how often I sort of would go against myself in certain, like I wasn't being as kind and compassionate as I would to my dog or a small child. Like if a child was exhausted, you wouldn't be like, come on, get it together. What's wrong with you? You'd be like, I'm so sorry. What can I get you? Mm. And just that shifting the language and recognizing when you really look at how much we're all carrying, even collectively, psychologically, it's a lot. Who wouldn't be tired? Mm. So that helps me take it less personally as well. And realize that it, it, my, our bodies don't lie. Our bodies are the most like pure, intelligent, brilliant entities. They're not out to get us. Yes, yes, I love that. And right, and this is an aspect of self care that I think is left out of the conversation a lot. And I'm very passionate about bringing it up with my clients about integrating it in with the self uh, center of the city self care platform. Is how we talk to ourselves, right? It's how we internally take care of ourselves. It's not just all of these external, you know, are we moving our bodies? Are we nourishing ourselves with, you know, yummy food? Are we, you know, journaling or meditating? But really it's like, what is that internal dialogue like? Because we get to be our best friend instead of our worst enemy. And just as you stated, we can be in those cycles where, we are so harsh on ourselves that we're not doing enough. And we create these mental images and uh, mindsets of what a professional should look like, right? What the perfect self-care routine should look like. And if we're not constantly matching up against that, we consider ourselves failures. And then that self-talk, right? Talking to ourselves like a little kid or, or a dog or, even a best friend, right? Why, why can't we be in that kind of relationship with ourselves automatically? And if we can just like imagine how like unstoppable, I feel like we would all individually feel and how much kinder of human beings we would be to each other. Oh, I love that. Yes, uh, totally. And, and 
why not run an experiment? So if you don't believe us, if you think what we're saying, because I, there's some inner critic that would say, oh, well, that's just a one-way ticket to like failure, you know, and laziness and getting fired or whatever the worst case scenario. But it's worth trying because every time I've experimented with this, it it all it does is stop compounding stress and compounding what's draining me. So if I am drained and then I layer onto it just really badgering self-talk, I'm just extra drained. It's not, it doesn't actually work. That's the limitation of our willpower and it's the limitation of our mind. And that's what makes us sick is that our body starts talking louder and louder to say, pay attention to me. You're not paying attention. In our mind, there's no amount of mental engineering that can like overcome what our body needs. That's why I think our bodies are so brilliant and so important. And and then if you try an experiment where you're actually nice to yourself, and I love what you said, Wade, talking to yourself like you would to your best friend, why not see if it works? Maybe that's the counterintuitive thing. You would actually heal faster or you would get more energy or you would find your innate excitement for things again. Yes. And it's hard to do. It's just hard to do. We have a lot of shoulds in our society, a lot, mm-hmm. and they're really strong. And I think part of, for me, the work of entrepreneurship has been questioning all these things that I thought were truths. Something I know I've said a couple times, but something as basic as a five-day work week. Why? Says who? Who benefits from that? I know that not everybody can just tell their, if you work for someone else, can tell your manager, hey, I'm piecing out. Then again, I've had friends where I have recommended, why don't you go part-time? That has its own complications. But um, who said, like, just who says? So I if there's something that isn't working, I think rather than by default beating ourselves up or thinking that it should be otherwise, why don't we question the whole system that we're a part of? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to what you just said of, you know, we notice we're, we're tired or stressed and then we add on that extra element of, of stress by beating ourselves up. In, in Buddhism, there's this term called the second arrow. And I think it's really helpful to conceptualize because there's the first arrow is meant to symbolize harm was created, whether it was I said something horrible to my partner or sent the wrong email to a client or a business associate. But then there's that opportunity to pause and create some healing or to take action, wise action. But what we tend to do if we're not paying attention, what tends to be automatic for a lot of us is throw that second arrow, create that, create more harm by shaming ourselves or talking to ourselves like, you know, why did I do that? That was so stupid or, you know, I'm not good at this or whatever the conversation is. And then that creates more harm than us being intentional about how do we want to really shift and create more ease or create the best results possible from a situation that happened. I love this concept, the second arrow, and it's so true. And and just having a name for things like that helps sometimes. It also reminds me of the, pretty sure it's a Buddhist parable where there are two monks and there's a woman at the edge of a river. Have you heard this one, Wade? No, no, I don't okay, think so. so technically the monks are not allowed to touch or even look at a woman. And so one monk, of course, is like, well, we're just not allowed. We got to keep going. And then the other monk picks the woman up and carries her across the river. 
puts her down. And then they walk, who knows, five more miles back to the monastery. And this the monk that said we're not allowed to do that was fuming, just like, how could you do this? You broke our vows. This is terrible. And um, just said, what, what are you thinking? Like, how are we going to make this right? And the other monk looks at him and says, listen, I just carried her across the river. You carried her all the way home. Mm-hmm. So it's this, there's the in the moment using our best judgment. And then there's the next carrying home, the idea, the second arrow of all the stories that we layer onto it and all the just mental clutter that we layer on if we're not careful. So I love what you're saying, which is even to just pause and ask ourselves, am I shooting a second arrow here? Mm -hmm. And I find it sometimes empowering to admit the things that drain me or that I'm not good at and not in a way of like creating a self-limiting belief. But I can certifiably say that in our household, I am not the better chef. (laughs) Like my husband is brilliant in the kitchen. He cooks like he paints. He loves it. It he, he gets so happy to feed even our dog every day. He he named his restaurant for the dog. <laughs> and what is it? So it's called Rider's Plate. Oh, cute. So he's always he'll like fry up meat. He'll put in pumpkin. He like crafts it every day. And he's so proud and he's so happy when he sees Ryder eating and happy. And that's just not me. Like nothing about food prep or cooking. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. And it's not my strength. So I also find it empowering to not try to be good at everything mm. <laughs> and to just be honest with myself about if I'm being like, like fill in this sentence. If I'm being really honest, comma, what would you admit? Mm. One of my most controversial things that I said to myself, to myself, not in the broader sense of the world, but there was some point toward the end of 2020 where I said, no new friends. I don't have the energy. I don't have, I don't want to make any new friends right now. And I felt so grumpy saying that. But part of me felt really free. Part mm-hmm. of me felt that it was giving this essential part of myself permission not to make any new friends. Mm. I was so relieved. Mm. Do you mind if I ask you a question about that? Oh, sure. When you sink into that, like what part of you felt relieved? Maybe even physically. Oh, I have a big people pleaser energy that I'm always dealing with. Like, it's what makes me feel very guilty about my email inbox, even at the same time that I would rather prioritize creating new things than let's say if I had given the choice than just being in my email. Um, so this people pleaser, I feel sort of obligated that if somebody invites me to something, I should say yes, especially if they're, let's say a neighbor or they're nice, they might be nice. Like it's not, it's never anything personal to the person. So my people pleaser, but the the part of me that it makes really uh, delighted is just like this introverted, um, oh, I just crave alone time. There's just nothing I love mm-hmm. more than me now wrapped in a heated blanket with tea or coffee reading. This is bliss. And as is, I don't get as much of that in a given day now that we have a dog and I'm married and I live with someone than I used to in my solo self days. That's what I call it. I have like a former self. She's right nearby (laughs) where I remember what that was like. And it's not to say I wish I was back there. I'm I'm so grateful for my life. But the fact is that my like solo, precious, reading, thinking, pondering, creating time is already different than it used to be. 
So if given the choice of like going to some thing where I put out the energy to meet new people and show up and be friendly and cheerful versus stay home and read, I'll just choose staying home and reading. I really will. But I feel bad even saying that. I feel like it's not the socially appropriate thing to say that there's this voice in my head that's like, but we're social animals. Well, we need connection. Community is so important. But it's just not how I genuinely feel right now. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's a value of yours to have connection, have community, but it also sounds like it's a value of yours to savor this alone time. And so oh, I don't here. even know if community is a, is a value in the way it is for other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think some people must have it and, or, and obviously we're, again, we are social, we are a social species. So of course I don't want to be like, I'm not alone in a mountain by myself, but it's not one of my top values that like, if I'm not organizing gatherings, like I never do anything for my birthday. All I want for my birthday is just like to have a peaceful day with my family. You know, I don't ever organize parties on that day. I actually give myself permission not to respond to any of the birthday texts or messages that day or even read them. I'll just read them the next day. Mm. And so when you like give yourself that permission to be like, I'm just going to stay home with a warm blanket and a cup of tea. It sounds like to me, and correct me if this doesn't resonate, but it sounds like you're, you're allowing yourself to be seen. Mm. Like you're allowing your needs to be met. Yeah, definitely. And, and allowing, and it is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. It's like turning the volume down you know, in coach training, I'm sure you heard this at some point too, Wade. It's like, what radio station are you tuned into and what volume is it at? And so mm-hmm. I learned this in the context of the inner critic and are you turned into, tuned into inner critic radio? Well, I think there's this, just as well a shoulds radio station. And it's so easy to just accidentally t- click over there and then the volume's really high and it's like, we, I drown out what my heart's desire truly is. And so it's such a daily practice to say, what is my heart's desire? If I'm being truly honest, dot, 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 what would you want to say or do or admit to yourself or to others? And even if it starts just to, like, I find it very empowering to admit it just to myself or maybe Michael, my husband, who I live with, before I, maybe I'll never say out loud. I'm, I'm like even a little embarrassed that I said it here on this podcast, but wanted to give an example. So I might not have to say my little rule of thumb, no new friends out loud. But I, I'm allowed to admit it to myself. And that, I think, is where we get to turn down the shoulds radio station and just tune back over. For me, the kind of the opposite of shoulds is heart's desire. It's like mm. deeper than my mind. It's in my body. It's in my gut. It's my intuition. And it's I think intuition is the most undervalued, underutilized skill that we have. We mm-hmm. all have it. And the only way to build that muscle is to get quiet enough to hear it and then honor it. Mm-hmm. So if you like, sometimes I'll ask my, so we get an invitation and I'll, I'll just, um, in my head, I'll do this exercise where I'll say, do I want to go? And the little tiny voice goes, no, or yes, maybe it says yes, but do I want to go? No. And I ask it again, do I want to go? No. And I let myself hear it, even if my mind will quickly talk over that. So I try to just really get that. What's the very first phrase that's going to pop into mind? Mm. So one of the questions I want to ask you, make sure I ask you, is 
And it connects back to this like voice and checking in around should. So if you're practicing a streak, let's say it's, you know, working out for 10 minutes or meditating for 10 minutes and you're trying to stay consistent, how do you balance that with checking in with that voice of like, oh, is this something I really want to be doing? Is this what my heart desires in this moment? That's a, that's a great question. What I like about streaks, and Seth Godin talks about this as well, is that they remove decision fatigue. That instead of every day even having to ask, do I want to exercise or meditate? Or do I want to, oh, and if so, how long? And if so, when will I fit it in? There are so many questions that follow even a 10-minute movement practice if it's not automatic. So for at least 30 days, a 30-day streak gives me permission to just cut all that noise. It's mm. not a question of if and when and how and what. It's like today before I, my head hits the pillow, I'm going to log 10 minutes of something on Peloton. And again, even if it's a meditation, even if it's stretching, it does not have to be some hard thing. And that way, even the question of like, does this align with my heart's desire? Well, my heart gets to choose what activity I do. <laughs> so my heart's desire, my body energy meter is still involved. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, one of the days I might do a really, I just did a really fun 20 minute holiday bike ride. So for me, there can still be choice, even with my 100 words a day. I, when I was trying to write 1,500 words twice a week, it just wasn't working. It wasn't joyful. I wasn't doing it. And so when my friend suggested 100 words a day, I still within that, I still get to pick what to write about. So um, that keeps it fun and still gives me the structure that I've committed to something. And there is a quote that I love, in, in discipline, we find freedom. Mm -hmm. I do think that some commitment containers, however tiny, give us some freedom and mm -hmm. give us room to breathe. And for me, gives me permission of like, it's just small enough that I can fit it in. And ideally, it's small enough that I even look forward to it. It's mm -hmm. not some annoying thing. I'm actually excited that I have these two challenges for myself that I'm going to meet every day. And I feel good when I get to check them off. Mm -hmm. I, lo I love that. And when you just interviewed Seth Godin on the Pivot podcast, he talked about practices protect us from the good and the bad days. And I talk about that within my work as practices. I like to call them rituals because routines feel like they're a have to and like habits, I don't know, have some kind of like more negative That's connotations true. for me. I love rituals feel like it's life-giving. There's more choice in it. It feels like it's like a self-love bath I'm dousing myself in. And I like to talk about them that they buckle, they buckle us in. They're like a seatbelt that keeps us protected for the bumpy roads of life. I love that. I love that. That is so beautiful. So I love that. I love how you're you know, creating, it doesn't have to be this either or, or this tension. It's okay. Hey, let me commit. Let me cut out the extra noise. Let me commit to something for 30 days. After my 30 days, I can check in and really be clear about what worked, what didn't work. Is this serving me? And then your heart and your body energy get to really tell you what is it that you want to be practicing for 30 days and make sure that it feels like that want to versus a have to. Yeah, or even within the day. So it's like, okay, 10 minutes, but it's variable day to day based on my energy. Of course, we all know the feeling too, where you don't want to do anything. And then you go, 
all right, just get on the mat, get on the bike. And of course, then you feel better after having done it. So I, I keep that in mind too, that sometimes I might not feel like doing something, but I'll feel better after. And what you described, Wade, so beautifully, it's also that these commitments, these rituals are in service of things I really care about. Mm -hmm. So the 100 words a day is not just for the sake of it or some kind of should. It's that I really care about making meaningful progress on my big ideas that will hopefully be my next book. And this is my way to stake that claim every day, to buckle the seatbelt of a big project every single day. So it helps me not see them as just homework. And, and that, that I would encourage everyone listening to question as well of what of your rituals or habits even feel like homework. Yeah. And drop them if it's really just getting in your way. Amen. Mm -hmm. Forget about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not being attached to, right, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, like not being attached to what we think it needs to look like, right? But going back to like, can we give ourselves permission to like be so creative with what our rituals, self-care practices get to look like? Yes, absolutely. And that in doing so, you might then inspire others. Like mm -hmm. the more creative you are and the more out of the box you can think or what permissions can you give? I mean, so much of what I think about and talk about now relates to permission. Just as like, what a right, everybody permission slips. Like mm -hmm. you have permission not to schedule any meetings on Fridays. Again, whether your boss, you like if you work for someone else, you actually say this out loud, but maybe whenever someone asks you, oh yeah, can we meet Friday? You go, oh yeah, I'm not available then, but I can talk on Tuesday at whatever time. There are subtle ways that you could just try this out and that would be another inquiry of what do you want to give yourself permission to do or drop or do differently? Exactly. That simple question of what can I give myself permission for, or what can I, you know, what time allotment can I give myself permission to have today to like just be my time? I know a lot of mothers, fathers, parents out there can even just have that simple question, right? Without the guilt can have so much freedom and opening. Yes, absolutely. And then also for me, like, let's say I'm going to give extra space for myself. So what's my job today? Oh, it's to work out. Okay. But let's say you are still accountable to somebody for work or certain open things. Great. What are the few things that if you just tackle those few things, there's a book called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And we, we are, I know, Wade, you and I are all about animal kindness. So maybe we're not going to eat any frogs mm -hmm. after a Mark Twain quote. But what are the few things that if you actually harness all your energy to these few things, you're going to feel so good. Even if you're not sitting behind your computer for eight hours continuously, but you get these few things done that makes all the difference anyway. Exactly. Kind of simplify, right? Like helping to simplify yes. all like, ah. Oh when we simplify how much like more spaciousness there is. Yeah, and just realizing, yeah, simplifying, streamlining, realizing that so many people are overwhelmed, especially after this crazy year that we've had. So I just, I really think it's important to honor ourselves. And in that way, we personalize, we say like, I, I see you, you know, just because what you're experiencing isn't as bad as fill in the blank that because now we have access to global information every day so much more than we ever would have pre-technology 
and to depersonalize it, to say you're definitely not the only one feeling this way. You're not the only one that's completely fried and emotionally mm -hmm. drained after everything that's been happening. And to remember that. And then if we give ourselves that permission, just, just as you said, Wade, imagine we'll be unstoppable because we'll mm -hmm. show up so much more kindly for everyone else around us and more powerfully too. Ugh, I love it. Love it. Jenny, I could keep talking to you about this for hours, but um, tell us, you know, maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast, but tell us where can people find you and how can people stay connected to you and your genius work? Well, likewise, Wade, this was so fun and I love all your questions. I just love where you put the magnifying glass of your attention. It's so powerful and so needed. You can learn more about me at pivotmethod.com. There is a, a free mini course I did on time. If you go to pivotmethod.com slash founder time. And if you listen to podcasts like this one, search for Pivot with Jenny Blake anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yay. Thank you, Jenny. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wade. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you know of a great guest for our show, feel free to send an email to team at centeredinthecity.org or sign up for my newsletter at wade at wadebrill.com. And of course, you can always check out the Center in the City platform at centeredinthecity.org. Until next time, stay centered.